like, oh, the day my baby turns four months, they're not going to sleep anymore because everything changes. And that's totally not the case. Like starting at six weeks, the baby starts making their own melatonin where before they just were having it from the mom. With people, when we talk about birth experiences, they might be minimizing their trauma because we've been taught intergenerationally that this is just how it is. Right. Oh yeah, like the doctor made that decision, didn't talk to you about it, of course. Or, oh yeah, you know, they used an implement that was extremely painful for you and uh, often unnecessary. That's just what they had to do, right? There's a normalization of trauma doesn't mean that it's any less traumatic. And everything would just get solved with birth control pills. But I kept feeling like this is counterproductive. Right. Grandmother, my great grandmother had 10 kids. Mm. My paternal grandmother had nine. So in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is black people don't have this issue. I've mm. never heard of black people having this issue. Hey, welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I own a group practice where we specialize in women's issues, maternal mental health, and all things wellness. Here on the podcast, we're going to be talking about parenthood, how to take care of yourself, and a little bit of in-between things. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Hey guys, I wanted to hop in and mention that if you are a birth worker, and by birth worker, I mean anyone that works with birthing parents, and that can include pediatricians, chiropractors, uh, reproductive chronologists, pelvic floor specialists, doulas, life coaches, um, just pretty much anyone. If you work with parents, I'm talking to you. I am having a birth worker meet and greet on September 29th. If you head over to my website at pushthroughmom.com, you will be able to see all of the registration information and to be able to grab your ticket to come meet us in person where you can be able to network, learn about other birth workers that are in the field, be able to create some collaborative opportunities, and just enjoy a moment of being able to celebrate one another in everyone's work in which they're doing. It is, again, September 29th. It's a Friday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. So please head over. It's going to be a pretty intimate event. So get your tickets before we sell out. Now, let's get on to our show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Push Through Podcast, and I am excited to welcome Dr. Maya Edie McCarthy on the show. She is a fertility coach that's helping parents that are dealing with any fertility issues um, and assisting them with the reproduction procedures um, like IVF and IUI. And she's also an MD. So we're going to jump into it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Maya. Thank you so much, Keisha. I am so happy to be here with you today. Thank you. Okay, so I know that we met through our hairdresser. (laughs) 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 And, um, And we've talked about, you know, maternal health and reproductive health, but tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yes. So I am um, a mother. I am a wife. I am a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm an aunt. I'm a child of God. I am a pediatrician and I am a fertility strategist. Mm. I am 
uh, the woman that is in your corner when you feel like you're stuck and don't know where to turn when you're on your fertility journey and just need a strategist to kind of help guide you through, demystify the whole process of assisted reproduction, make it simple and get you well on your way to your goal, which is a healthy conception and that precious miracle in your arms. That's who I am. That And that's so full circle, like how you are a pediatrician and a fertility strategist, which I love that, that phrasing, um, because that's perfect because it's exactly what it is and working with clients and how meds this time do this trigger shot schedule this make sure that, like it's a lot <laughs> yes it is a lot it can be very overwhelming and you're right it is a full 360 moment circle moment because it, it just illustrates the whole um almost the circle of life almost you know um I can help you know with creating and bringing new babies into the world and certainly when they're here um I take care of children all day long every day so I I love it I love it that is awesome. Okay. So before we get into um, fertility and strategizing, um, can you tell us if you've always imagined yourself as a mother? Yes. I mean, even since I knew what, like, you know, you're little, you're playing with baby doll, but at least I did. I had baby doll, but I had lots of them. And um, I would play pretend with them. Um, and and I, I don't know where I got the idea to do that from other than, you know, seeing my mom do it with my younger brother, like mother him and seeing my aunts and my grandmother, um, mother, her children, mother, their children, mother, me. And um, it's something that I said, "Hmm, this, this is what the women in my world do. So this is something that, you know, I would like to do. And so every child starts by, you know, emulating what they see. And that's what I did. I started pretending. And then that pretending became a dream. And then that dream became, okay, I think I want two children, 2.5 children and a white picket fence and a nice house, you know, all these things that um, that media has led us to believe that we want um, and that we should obtain as a part of the American dream. But um, as we know, sometimes the most well-laid plans do not go as as they were planned. So that didn't quite happen, but that was when I can remember like the earliest memory of me wanting to be a mother was as a child watching my, my aunt's mother and watching my mother mother, watching my grandmother mother. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm. You spoke that so well about how you know, when we're young and we are exposed to so much, you know, with Disney cartoons and like television shows. And then also in school, we are made to believe, you know, you have sex, you get pregnant and things can happen in like a timeline if you kind of just Mm -hmm. put all the pieces into place. What was your journey to motherhood like and how did it lead you to start this platform? 
Yes. So it was definitely not a straight line. Let me tell you that. <laughs> and, and for a lot of women, it's not. Um, you know, I was actually just having this conversation with another group of women. And one woman was sharing, you know, she got pregnant in college. You know, that wasn't her expectation going for herself, but it happened. I mean, you don't you don't just sometimes you don't just plan these things. They just happen. Um, and so I didn't plan mine per se. Um, I thought that once I graduated from high school and finished college, I knew I wanted to go to medical school, um, but I thought that I was going to meet my prince in shining armor and get married in medical school like my other colleagues were doing and start having a family right away while I was younger. And so, yeah, that didn't happen. So I finished medical school, went to residency, which is more training. Um, I had the same dream that I was going to meet Prince Charming and I kissed a whole bunch of frogs during that time. <laughs> and then um, once I got finished with my training, I started out in private practice in South Atlanta. And um, same thing. I thought that I would, you know, now that I've finally gotten out of training, I'm in my first big girl job, you know, I'm going to meet this person and it still was delayed. Um, and during that time, you know, I really had to lean in to, even though it's a delay, it's not a deny. Mm. And so um, I was determined, though, that I wanted to start a family, but I wanted to start a family with a partner that was right for me. And so I had to wait. Now, in that waiting, though, I did not just sit around. I did do some things. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we like we hear the, the phrase in the Bible says faith without works is dead. And it's the works part that sometimes we miss. And those are the things I had to do. And so I went to my OB appointment. I was 34, regular visit. Mm -hmm. And I remember her saying to me, um, well, Maya, if you want to be a mother or have a family at any point in time in the future, you're going to have to start looking at preserving your fertility. Mm. And so, um, or else you're going to look at, have to look at a sperm catalog. If that's what you want to start a family now, we can do that. But, you know, otherwise you're going to have to freeze your eggs basically. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. never heard of this. Tell me more. And she explained the process to me and explained also that I was getting to the age where my egg quality and number were going to drastically start to drop off. Mm. Um, and so that I had to make a move really soon if that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. Um, I looked into the process. I um, harvested my eggs. And during that process, I actually thought I was going to have more eggs than I did. Hmm. A usual yield is around 15 or 20 or so eggs for a woman who is, you know, has no health issues whatsoever. Um, but I only got six. Mm. And to say I was disappointed is an understatement, Keisha. I realized at that time that I actually had PCOS. Oh, that and, was the first time at 34, yes. that was the first mm -hmm. time you learned. Okay. So yes. back up just a little bit. So you go to the OB and this is just a regular visit. And just based off of your age is what prompted your OB to suggest that you freeze your eggs. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. And then from there, this discovery happens about your count as well as PCOS. Correct. 
So going through the process, you know, you have lots of ultrasounds to kind of look at the, the over your ovaries and look at the eggs that are in them. And she kept telling me, she's like, oh, you have lots of follicles, lots of follicles. And that got my hopes up, you know, because I'm thinking, okay, follicles inside those follicles are eggs. Well, there were eggs there, but they were not mature eggs. Mm. And, you know, sometimes with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, you have lots of cysts or look, they look like follicles, but they're empty. They don't have any eggs inside or they're not mature eggs inside. And so, and there are several reasons as to why PCOS develops. We're still, you know, trying to figure out exactly what constellation of symptoms lead to it. But, you know, there are some classic things, you know, insulin resistance is a big part of PCOS. I definitely had insulin resistance. That was definitely a part of my medical makeup. Um, I did have the characteristic appearance of the ovaries on ultrasound. Um, they kind of look like pearls on a string almost. That's what they describe in the textbook. And then um, I did not have the, the androgenic factors like the hair and, and things. I did not have those issues, but the main, and I, but I was also overweight. And that was the other thing that can contribute. Now that's not to say that all women with PCOS are overweight because that's not true. Mm-hmm. There are some women with PCOS that are of normal weight and size, but again, some of those other clinical symptoms um, that uh, that come to bear can lead to the diagnosis. And then the last thing for me, which is probably the telltale sign, was irregular menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would not have a cycle every thirty days. Sometimes I skip a couple of months, and so and then have another period. So that is one big telltale sign. Um, that you might have PCOS. So, and, you know, I encourage women, you know, if you ever feel like something is not right with your reproductive health, please go and see your, your doctor sooner rather than later, especially if you want to try to have a family later on in life. It's best to preserve your fertility as soon as you can, or the earlier, the better. Right. Now, you know, uh, often within the Black community, Freezing eggs is not something that's just openly talked about. It's not something that everybody's like, oh, girl, yeah, I just got back from freezing my eggs. Oh, did you have froze my life? <laughs> you know, it's just not that type of thing. No. <laughs> so for you at 34, how, how did you process that? And how did your family or friends respond when sharing about it? Yeah. So, and you're right. It is a process and no, it is not the topic of conversation around Easter dinner or Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner. I mean, and I come from a large family. I have at least 21, if not more first cousins. So like we get together all the time. And as growing up, I didn't hear anybody talking about anybody having problems with having children. Mm -hmm. My grandmother had nine children. I have aunts who have multiple children. Nobody had any issues or so I thought. And if they did, they didn't tell me. And so I did feel kind of, you know, isolated or hesitant to talk about my process and my feelings. I mean, I tried to share it with my mother, but, you know, again, she'd had all of her children by the time I was considering egg freezing. Mm. So, you know, the common thing that you hear, you know, okay, well, just wait on the Lord. Just pray about it. It's going to happen. And again, I was like, okay, I have faith, but I can also do 
right. you know, the things that, you know, can help me to achieve the family that I want later in life. And, um, and so I had to come to a place of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and really, that's what it was like. This is my reality. OK, this is the reality. Now I have to accept the reality and then I have to maximize the reality for my benefit. And that meant, OK, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through with the egg harvesting, even if it is by myself. And it was by myself. My parents were there to support me, of course, through the procedural part of it. But the emotional aspect of it, I had to work through that myself. And, and that is honestly, Keisha, why I started this business, because I don't ever want a woman to feel like she has to process all of this heavy stuff by herself, go through all these heavy procedures, heavy conversations by herself, look at a process that can be so just mystifying and complex. I want to help lighten that load and ease the burden. Right. Absolutely. Because it, it is a lot to process of, you know, you sharing, you get a PCOS diagnosis, you find out that your egg count is, you know, lower, freezing. And then for some people, the cost associated with that finances of figuring out how to make this work and feeling as if you're on like this time clock to make it work. Um, and then not knowing what the future may hold, you know, after you store these eggs, you know, when, when will they come <laughs> into <first>? Exactly. <laughs> when will I be able to use them? Now? <laughs> right. and, and, and to that point, I mean, it was costly. You know, I was fortunate enough to be able to afford it, but then I also looked into several programs that would help subsidize the cost. Mm-hmm. And so that's gotten, it's even gotten better now as years have gone by, you know, there are several companies who will actually, if you are employed by them, they will actually pay for egg harvesting for Mm. you um, or IVF for you as a part of their benefits. So more and more companies and employers are getting behind this. And I think that's important. Um, There are also pharmaceutical companies that are subsidizing the cost of the medication for you. And that's what I found to be the biggest expense was the medication. What can you tell us what is like the rank, the price range as of like now for someone, you know, hearing this who may want to think about going ahead and freezing their eggs? Yeah. So of course it differs according to the clinic that you go to, but on average, I'd say for a simple, you know, egg freezing cycle, I'd say at least less than $10,000, if not less than that. Okay. Um, you know, and I have, you know, friends that are colleagues that are doing this work and they're able to offer the procedure um, from for people who will want to preserve their fertility at astronomical savings. Mm-hmm. So the cost has definitely come down since I was doing this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so once you stored the eggs, you had the amount that you had, um, what was that in between time like? For you before motherhood occurred? What, what was <laughs> all of that stuff? <laughs> oh, wow. So Keisha, it was several years. Okay. So I froze my eggs at 34, but I did not meet my husband until 36. And we didn't get married until I was 38 and didn't try to use the eggs until I was 39. Mm. so you know there were several years that had gone by that they were just kind of sitting on ice just waiting for the opportunity for me to use them 
So yeah, that was definitely some time in between. That's interesting. Um, okay. And then when you went for the IVF procedure, when they um, were able to transfer the eggs, was it just one round? Was it pretty simple? Did you feel good about this? <laughs> <laughs> it was not simple. It was not easy. I thought it was going to be, but it was not. So after my husband and I, well, first of all, let me back up. When we met each other, like I told him that there was going to be an issue with, you know, me being able to have babies because I knew I had PCOS um, that does uh, increase your difficulty, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's a challenge um, mm-hmm. in order to conceive. And so I told him that and I wanted him to know that up front so that he knew what he was getting into. And so he's like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, if we need to adopt, it's fine. You know, we, I'm open to that. And I was open to that as well. And so when we got married, almost like the next couple of months, we showed up at the reproductive fertility specialist. Um, he had to go through a series of procedures. I did as well. And after his, I remember her sitting us both down in her office and her saying to both of us, you will never have your own biological child. Mm. based upon my current numbers you know they were looking at my hormones number than where they were my estimated follicle count to the, or the number of eggs that I had left in reserve um, they were low and my numbers were not good and so I just was devastated we both were to hear a medical professional say you will never have your own biological child yeah you know and that just devastated both of us and we both fell into a depression I I can remember nights and I cried myself to sleep you know just asking God why me why is this happening to me I did everything quote-unquote right right like I I went to college I went to medical school I finished my residency I did my my my, I get had my first big girl job and I'm, I'm helping people I'm helping children I'm doing what you purposed me to do, but this is the one thing that I really want in life and I haven't been able to achieve it. Why is this happening to me when I see that it's happening for other people all around me? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went through that questioning and then one day I think I just realized and I was like, wait a minute, this can't be the only option. This, there are other options out there. And so I found another clinic um, and in that clinic, they also had a reproductive urologist for my husband. And then of course, a reproductive endocrinologist for me. And so I switched practices. Um, The physician there was totally dedicated to helping us grow our family. And he recommended that I go through the egg harvesting procedure again, just to see if we could add to the six that I already had from before. Mm -hmm. So we did. um, And it was, yeah, it was not very fruitful at all. Mm. Um, I only got three eggs at that time. And usually most physicians will cancel an egg harvesting cycle for so few eggs, but he was so dedicated to helping us grow our family. He said, I will do this for you. So we took the three from that experience with the six that I got from my egg freezing and fertilized those. And um, of those nine, we ended up with 
two that were genetically normal. Mm. Now, I didn't even think that was going to happen because if they will tell you, you know, the numbers decrease significantly, you know, as they go through their, you know, for, for, um, fertilization and as they, they grow, the numbers decline for whatever reason or another, the egg or the embryo stops developing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just knew starting out with nine, I was not going to have any left mm-hmm. at all. But thankfully, I had two. And, um, and they were genetically normal. That's the other thing, you know, as you get older, you know, sometimes uh, chromosomes are abnormal um, for older women. And so mine were, I only had two that were completely normal. And one of them is our three-year-old daughter. She is just as much genetically mine as she is my husband. And we have one embryo on ice, still waiting to figure out what we're going to do with it. That is wonderful. Yeah. Like what a blessing. That is amazing. What do you think about the first doctor that you like coming out on the other side now, the first doctor that said that this would never happen. What, why do you think that was? Because if you guys had have taken what she said, you know, you wouldn't be here now. Fortunately, you know, you were cognizant enough to get another opinion and to keep going, but I'm, I'm sure several other parents may deal with that sometimes. Oh, yeah. And and it was based upon my husband's procedure that she determined that we would never have a biological child because he also and he doesn't mind me sharing this because he wants other men to hear this as well. But he'd had a vasectomy. And so he has two older children and his vasectomy at that time was 20 something years old. Well, nobody's going to reverse that. Mm-hmm. And even if they did, it, the likelihood of it of being uh, conceiving after that is very low. So what he had to do was actually go through a procedure where they actually went to the source of the, the sperm to find them. And they literally used a microscope and look for them to extract them. Wow. Um, now, because they are immature, they're not able to swim. So you have to use IVF to fertilize. And so when they did his procedure, they could not find any viable sperm at all. Mm. So she assumed that, well, there's no viable sperm. We've only got a few eggs. You guys aren't ever going to have your own biological child. Mm. But what she didn't realize was there was a reason why there weren't any sperm at the source. Now, most men can create sperm until they are old, Mm -hmm. old. And so, you know, part of the reason why his sperm count was low because he was on testosterone. Testosterone does just just really just if you're on too much of it, it really brings those sperm numbers down. Yeah, and so that's what the case was. And so our the new reproductive urologist said, okay, so we'll just take you off the the testosterone. And most men are on it to help with libido and help with vitality, help them feel better when they're on it for the age. So he took him off of it, put him back on another medication to increase the sperm count. And it worked beautifully. Mm. He went in for his procedure to extract his sperm before I went in that, that second time to extract my eggs. And um, 
it was so funny. The urologist walked out and he's like, yeah, there were tons in there. How many children uh, do I want? <laughs> I was like, really? So it wasn't hard. He's like, no, this wasn't hard at all. How many do you want? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay, wow. So yeah, so that, that was, that was amazing. That is amazing. That's wonderful that he was up for it um, and, and had it done. And, and both of you guys could work together to expand your family. Now, yes. fortunately, you were blessed um, with your daughter. Yes. When did you decide that you wanted to then support other parents and to start the business? So really, it wasn't until I got to the other side of the journey. So to be quite honest, Keisha, like the story doesn't end mm. after, you know, the IVF procedure is successful and we, we transferred the embryo and everything is good. You know, the story didn't end there. Um, unfortunately, I did have to deliver at 25 weeks gestation. Oh, my um, God. Again, I had multiple medical problems during that time. I was overweight. I had chronic hypertension. And then an IVF pregnancy in and of itself does carry with it an increased risk of preeclampsia. And that's what I developed at 25 weeks, preeclampsia and HELP syndrome, which is super early um, to develop. And I was really sick, didn't even know I was sick as I was. And so um, ended up having to go um, to the hospital and have an emergency C-section, uh, did that. And our baby was in the NICU for 81 days. Wow. And we went back and forth to see her during the summer of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, goodness. Uh, just throw, throw yeah. that little extra. Just, just throw everything. Yeah. Oh, hello, pandemic. Yeah. Just throw everything in there with me. Why don't you? So here I am, an IVF pregnancy. And then it was a pandemic. And then here I am delivering at 25 weeks. It was insane. And so, of course, you know, it took all of my energy at that point to focus on my daughter to do what I needed to do for her. I completely forgot about me. And so by the time we got her home and got her settled into her new normal, it was then that I realized that I actually was suffering from PTSD. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it, it was it was a traumatic birthing experience. Um, it was a, a traumatic pregnancy even. The, the pregnancy itself was difficult. And it wasn't until I could put language to that and call that what it was that I could accept the PTSD and the trauma and the, the depression and the anxiety that I went through that I could get help for myself. Mm. And that's what I had to do. I had to get help for me. And I always say this, you know, as a, a strategist, as a coach, the coach has to go first. And I had to go first to seek the help that I needed in order to be able to help others, not just get through this mental, emotional, spiritual transformation that you have to go through as you walk on a fertility journey, but practically share the strategy, the tips, the tricks that I I did so that you don't have to, um, to make your journey in fertility a whole lot easier than mine was. 
So it wasn't until the other side that I was able to say, okay, I'm ready. And this is what I want to do because I don't want another woman, especially an African-American woman or woman of color to go through what I went through on my journey. Let me ease the load and lighten the load for somebody else. Absolutely. That is a testimony <laughs> like that. <laughs> I can't imagine when you were saying like having PTSD, I, I was just thinking about like, oh my gosh, like what would your mental health look like? And, and how could you not ever give up? Because it's like the chances are always, you know, on edge or so slim. Mm-hmm. Oh, you only got this many eggs or, oh, this is what the sperm count is. And, oh, you got PCOS. And then, you know, you get pregnant. Oh, well, you're delivering at this. And, and these are these complications. How, mm-hmm. what was your support at that time? Or, and I know you said you put yourself on the back burner, but mentally, like, how were you able to keep going? Yeah. So my therapist, <laughs> my psychiatrist, my husband, my family. I mean, there were some days that I literally could not get out of the bed because, you know, think about it. You know, I, I've just gone through this very traumatic pregnancy and delivery. And now having to deal with a child who's in the ICU that I'm having to go back and forth. I was limited on how often I could see her yeah. and when I could see her. And having to relive or, or the, the fact that I had to leave my baby at the hospital. Yeah. When I would come to see her, there would be women who just had their babies. They would be discharged with their babies home. I knew I had to leave mine there. Yeah. And having to deal with that, it was a lot. I mean, I, I remember one time I, I just was in tears over the bed in the bed and my, I called my mom um, and she's like, I'm on my way. I, I've never heard you like this. I'm on my way. And um, she came and, and really just kind of sat with me. And, and what's interesting even about that experience and sharing it with my mother was that we both had very similar birthing experiences. Hmm. So I am her 26 weeker. Mm. She had me early without any clue, no reason why. I was born early. I stayed in the NICU. Um, I was born February 2nd. I went home on tax day that year. And so we both had the very same experience of having to leave a child at the hospital and having to go back and forth to visit a, a preemie baby and care for, learn how to care for a premature baby. So it was, we didn't have the IVF experience, but we absolutely shared the birth trauma. And, and, and that, I leaned on her during that time to really help me push through that yeah. um, as well as my husband. Because there were times, like, like I said, I couldn't get out of the bed and he literally had to pick me up out of the bed. Mm. Did you know about your mom's birth story prior to your own? Like, was that like a conversation earlier? Yes. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was born early. Um, I knew the circumstances around it. In fact, while I was in medical school, I actually um, got my birth records from where I was born. And I read through them through the lens of a physician at that time. Mm -hmm. As a pediatrician, it was interesting the way medicine was practiced in that day and how far we've come now. But um, yes, I knew the story, but I didn't know the story mm-hmm. until I had, I experienced it for myself. Right. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Now, in your expertise, because I know that you said it wasn't until you were 34, having like a regular OB appointment, that this kind of all came up. What would you suggest for anyone to do who may not know when, where, how they want to have children, um, but they may want to have children? Should this be a conversation at 21 that they should have it? Should they wait on their OB to bring this up? And, and even like you describing like what your cycles are like, you know, oftentimes some doctors will just prescribe birth control birth control getting mm-hmm. to the root of well why are your cycles like this and mm-hmm. what do we need to do about it so what suggestions do you have for preventative care options or just you know knowing more about your reproductive health before your time is at its limit so I will tell you believe it or not that there are women out there who are actually going through egg harvesting at 21 Mm. at 22 um, early in their lives so that they can preserve their fertility and then go on and have their careers. Um, It's something that traditionally people of color don't do, Mm -hmm. um, don't think about, didn't know was available, um, but sometimes other communities, that's what they do. So I would say, and and I I said this to a group of uh, college ladies a couple of months ago, like, you know, I want you to be focused on you're in college. Let's get finished with college. Let's let's get started, you know, on your career if that's what you want to do. But just have this in the back of your mind. The sooner you preserve your fertility, the better off your chances will be. And so if that means just having a conversation with your OB initially, like, hey, I know I want to do this at some point. You know, let's talk about what that looks like for me and my situation. Is it best for me to do it now? Should I wait a little bit longer? How long should I wait? Um, And it might be a conversation you have with your OB when you see them every year. Um, And just, you know, ask them to do the the, the hormones, the testing that needs to be done just to kind of see where you are from a reproductive standpoint and just stay on top of that. And if they're not willing to listen to you and and help you in that arena, go find someone else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So for someone who wanted to receive your services, you know, to, they recognize that this is overwhelming. Um, Maybe they don't have any support. Maybe they're just a completely single person or have some support. What can they expect from getting with the womb doctor and um, (laughs) how, how would they go about getting started? So, you know, I'm so glad you asked that question, Keisha. You know, I have women in my group that are single and I have women in my group that are partnered and I can support both um, groups. And so I would say, you know, the best time to get in touch with me to get started is now. So if it's even on your mind that this is something you want to do and you're ready to make the action, make the move to do it, now is the time. Um, So I would say, you know, my website, of course, is there, www.thedoctorswound.com. Um, I am on all social media platforms as, as, as The Doctor's Wound, so you can also find me there. Um, send me a DM. Don't be afraid to do that. I'm a regular person, um, and I do respond to every last one of my, my messages that I get. 
Um, and I am happy to talk more about um, the program and what I can offer and how I can help offer solutions for you um, and strategize with you to help you along your journey. Like I said, to demystify this process, to simplify this process, to be your wing girl, to, you know, when you've come back from an overwhelming doctor's visit and you have information from the doctor and you're like, wait, I need to process this. What does this mean for me? What's the best option for me? That is what I can do. And that is the value that I bring to the process. So I'm able to work hand in hand with your physician. Um, being a physician myself, none of the procedures that they're talking about, none of the, the uh, things that they're talking about doing are unfamiliar to me. I'm, it's very familiar to me, not just from an MD standpoint, but from a standpoint of having done it myself. So I know exactly what it is that you're going through and I get it. So, you know, you have someone in your corner that's accessible to you that understands the process inside and out. Mm -hmm. And that makes the, the difference and can make your path that much smoother. Absolutely. What I think it's wonderful about what you do is, especially for black and brown women, for them to be able to see someone that looks like them. Um, it can take away the shame. They cannot feel mm -hmm. isolated. And then mm -hmm. someone gets it and who has also experienced it. And then how your experience was on so many different levels, you can definitely talk about it in a different lens. And it's different than just like someone who is a general coach or someone who's generally like educated on it. But the fact that you have a medical background and relatable in this mm -hmm. area, it's is such a need. And a lot of people sit in shame because yes. it's the Black women being hyper-fertile. Yes. You know, being in the South and if you have an older generation family who may not understand or relate to it, or even if you have like a religious background family mm -hmm. um, who may mm -hmm. be against IVF, it's good to have someone that's in your corner, you know, that's advocating for you expanding your family. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what... That is what I want to do is I like to say I am your concierge fertility strategist, helping you with life's most precious miracles. Yes. And so, and that, that is what I am here to do. It's part of my, my purpose and my passion. Um, and of course, once the baby's here, I got you there too. I so. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> Now, okay, my last question is, being that you do so much and you have so many roles, mm -hmm. um, how do you take care of yourself? You know, Keisha, it's an ever-evolving process, you mm -hmm. know? Um, even just as simple as, and, and this comes from when I was a little girl, this really grounds me. Um, I grew up in South Georgia, and I used What's to go- South Georgia? I, used, I grew up in Camilla, Georgia. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, near Albany. And so um, I would go outside and play. You know, my mom would send me outside to play. The neighborhood was totally fine for us to do that. But I would just sit in the grass or just lay in the grass and just feel the earth beneath me. And it allowed me to ground myself, look up in the sky and really be grateful for God's creation and the blessings that I have. And I did that one day with my daughter. And it just, it just filled my soul so much to be able to share that experience with her. Mm -hmm. 
um, to just sit and ground ourselves in God's creation, that is self-care for me. Now, other parts of self-care for me are, you know, getting my nails done, getting my hair done, getting my foot feet massages and, you know, getting my regular, you know, body massages. Those things are self-care for me too. But, you know, I also, you know, emphasize the fact that just even going outside, getting some sunshine, being in fresh air, grounding myself in earth um, and in God's creation is self-care for me too. I love it. Um, so tell us how can people find you on social media to follow you and can you tell us what the website is again for anyone who wants to sign up? Yes, of course, of course. Please head over to Instagram or Facebook. I am at the doctor's womb there. Please follow, like, and share. Um, I've got lots of content up um, to, for you to look at and, and other interviews that I've done with other people to um, kind of help fortify this whole fertility process. But um, you can find me there and send me a message there. If you're interested in the program, I'm happy to get on a call and talk with you about what I offer and see if we're a great fit and get you on your journey to parenthood. All right. So if you want to find me, I am on all social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram specifically, though, at The Doctor's Wound. Um, feel free to head on over, uh, like, share and follow and send me a message. You know, I answer every last one of my messages that I get from, from people. And I'd love to hear from you. Uh, of course, my website is www.thedoctorswoon.com. There is a place on the website that you can opt in to my email list. And I serve my community in that way, sending regular emails, updating folks on what's going on with the Doctors Wound community. Um, and again, just reach out. I, you know, sometimes it takes that first step of just raising your hand and not being afraid to do it. I posted something today um, that really just kind of was on my heart this morning. You are not stuck. You are not alone. You are fully capable and you are fully competent. Sometimes all you need is a coach who's got a good playbook and can help you run the plays to get to your ultimate goal. I am your strategist, I am your coach. I have the playbook and I can help you run the plays that you need in order to demystify this IVF process, demystify the IUI process, simplify it and make your path and your journey to parenthood easy um, so that you can ultimately conceive and hold that precious miracle in your arms. So that's what I'm here to do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Maya. I'm going to put all of your links and info in the show notes, but thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Keisha. It's been my pleasure.